Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change. April is National Poetry Month. It was established in 1996 as a way to increase awareness and appreciation of poetry in the United States. In a special crossover event, Collections and Sage Metro Detroit are teaming up to close out National Poetry Month together. With so many people at home, we're sharing poetry virtually with Sage members and the community. The virtual event took place during the day featuring poetry by local poet Kelly Native Child Brown and yours truly. This evening, Sage Metro Detroit's Executive Director, Angie Perone, joins us to talk about the organization's work, not just in Wayne, Oakland, Macomb, and Washtenaw counties, but throughout the state. Sage Metro Detroit was launched in October 2015. It was formerly known as the LGBT Older Adult Coalition, which was originally formed in 2010. It's a collaboration of people and organizations in southeastern Michigan who are working to establish effective programs and services for lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender older adults. Local poet Kelly Native Child Brown will also be joining us. She's a prominent slam poet, a public speaker, and a licensed therapist who empowers survivors of domestic and sexual abuse to share their stories and begin healing from trauma. Kelly channels her feelings into writing and performing slam poetry under the name Native Child. Welcome to our celebration of National Poetry Month here on Collections by Michelle Brown. We'll begin our conversation with the Executive Director of SAGE Metro Detroit, Angie Perone. Yeah, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. How are you doing? I am doing well. I am really doing <laughs> well. Uh, so, um, SAGE started like, I know that it started like in two here in Metro Detroit in 2015, but it started as an LGBT coalition for older adults. And then it, it transformed into SAGE. I have talked to people who are with SAGE in New York. Mm-hmm. How, did this, how did this happen? What is the connection? Is it a, uh, for people who don't know what SAGE is? And first of all, you're the executive director 
how did you come to be involved in this transformation from the LGBT coalition to SAGE, and then how is it connected to the broader organization? Sure, sure. Great questions. And so we did form from the, uh, a coalition of community members and um, a variety of different people working in the community. We had uh, community leaders, people working in housing and health. We had some lawyers on the, on the co coalition, healthcare providers. And it emerged because there, folks who are working in the community who are serving LGBTQ older adults were realizing that they didn't really know where to go, what, who to, what resources existed, what referrals to provide. And they, you know, this group realized there was this big gap. And so it, a bunch of people kind of came together and developed the LGBT Older Adult Coalition. And that then um, transformed, that, so that emerged in 2010, and then that transformed into SAGE Metro Detroit in 2015, uh, which is a 501 nonprofit. And we are the only local affiliate of a national organization called SAGE USA, which has been around for decades and is the, mm -hmm. the largest and oldest um, organization serving LGBTQ older adults. And so we are, as a local affiliate, we, um, you know, we're a standalone nonprofit, but we still you know, attend and participate in national convenings, national meetings. We share information and resources and um, are able to sort of tap into some of the networks nationally to help us provide the services and advocacy that we want to do on a local and state level as well. So how did you, how did you get involved? Yeah, so I got involved. So I, my background is actually in law. I was a civil rights hmm. attorney for about eight years uh, in California, and I worked for an organization um, that uh, had an LGBT elder law program. And I oversaw that program, and that's um, how I kind of became much more involved in working on issues relating to aging um, in the community. And I... Ultimately, so, so I was working in San Francisco, although it was a national organization, and I had been working um, on a case with uh, Jay Kaplan, um, who's the, mm -hmm. a staff attorney at the ACLU in Michigan. And mm -hmm. so I had sort of started to become a little bit familiar with Michigan, um, but I ultimately decided, um, I mean, I loved, loved my job in San Francisco at this nonprofit, but I decided I was really also interested in learning more about um, you know, social science, and we had been relying a lot on social science to help us in amicus briefs that we were filing with the Supreme Court and local courts. And I just became very interested in learning more about using social science as a tool for, for social justice. And so I decided I wanted to go back and get my PhD while also continuing to work on advocacy. And so that brought me to Michigan. And because I had worked with Jay, he connected me to this coalition, the LGBT Older Adult Coalition, and so while I was working on my PhD, I got involved in a coalition, and then that ultimately became Sage Metro Detroit, which then um, I ultimately became the executive director. So that's sort of how I became affiliated with Sage and my path to getting here. <laughs> mm -hmm. But you know, I could tell you, I've talked to to some other people like um, I don't know if you know Imani Woody, who's in um, yeah yeah in Washington, and uh, some people in New York, uh, Andre Guest and uh, Dr. Mm -hmm. Wilhelmina Perry, who all, you know, have, have been involved with SAGE. And there are, 
you know, we're living longer. I mean, we're really, we're, we're living longer. And LGBT people are living, you know, I mean, because I talked to a lot of people who have, who were at one point in time were HIV, uh, they thought that was a death sentence now. I mean, you know, I know people who have lived many, many years, I mean, who are mm-hmm. elders now and who are doing it. And um, there are, and I like how you said how you connect with others because I know, like, one of the things that I've heard about as I talk to these people are, like, the social isolation. Um, mm-hmm. And many LGBT people who, as they're becoming older and they're having to make choices, some of them are saying, like, they almost feel they have to go back in the closet, you know, when they look right. at um, where are they going to living choices, where they're going to live. And then the other part is, like, even though we got marriage equality, I met a, a lovely couple who didn't get married because they said that mm-hmm. part of their lives, they had been, you know, in heterosexual marriages, and they knew that if they married as a, a lesbian couple, that it would impact their Social Security benefits. And, right. I mean, you you hear these things, I mean, and I've talked to people here, I've talked to people in, like I said, in D.C., in New York, in Atlanta, and there's these lots of issues around people, LGBT people, as we're getting older. Right. You know, you're connected to SAGE and you're hearing all of this. Were you seeing these things right here in Michigan that there just wasn't, a focus on? So these are issues that are definitely present in Michigan. And I think, so SAGE Metro Detroit is actively working on trying to address all of these issues in a variety of different mm-hmm. ways. But <laughs> so the economic, <laughs> so the economic know, issues like, that you mentioned, <laughs> it's, I know it's a little overwhelming at times because there's a lot to do. I'm glad you raised the issue of marriage equality because I think some people uh, both within the community and outside, assume that because marriage equality is, well, one, that that's all that the community is really fighting for, and that's absolutely not true. And two, mm-hmm. that, that now that that's been achieved, that that's all that we're done. <laughs> that's absolutely not true for many of the reasons you listed. And we have massive disparities still, like, you know, in terms of health, poverty. I mean, we, we're talking, about, you know, multiple layers of discrimination. And so, Marriage does not solve those problems, you know, far from it. And so we are still combating many of these issues. And, and certainly the pandemic that we're experiencing has really compounded a lot of inequities in our community. And a lot of this is not even being tracked. And so it's making mm-hmm. it harder to make the case to funders or just the general community that what we're seeing in our community is, it, you know, we're, ha- we're having some very stark um, we're seeing some very stark realities. Um, at the same time, we're seeing significant community support. So, you know, it's this, it, this sort of reminder of, I guess, you know, the, the resilience in the community and also the, the ability of us to sort of support each other, but also the, the massive inequities in the structures that we are um, we're a part of, you know, that we are, you know, that, that, that create the, the things that we need and create the, the ways in which we live in our society right now. So the SAGE... So we're doing a few things in terms of social isolation. We've got um, a telephone buddy program. We call it the Friendly Caller program. That's been around for two years. And actually, it's become a model for other programs right now and even before the pandemic, nationally as well as uh, in other states. 
and it matches um, LGBTQ uh, older adults with volunteer callers who do, um, you know, they're, they're really just to stay connected. And we've seen benefits from both older adults who are participating as well as folks of any age, quite frankly, who are volunteer callers that really get a lot from staying connected. And uh, so that's been a huge benefit for kind of trying to reduce social isolation. And then also it's a great source of providing resources to folks who are just not comfortable calling a lot of other places because of fear of, you know, you mentioned a great point, you know, fear of, um, you know, going back in the closet, having to go back in the mm -hmm. closet. And so there's concern that if I call another, you know, another agency and they identify me as needing help, are they going to take me from my home and are they going to put me into a place you know, maybe a nursing facility or, or some other place that maybe actually has a high risk of, you know, COVID or just I have no friends, no community there. And so people are really scared to ask for help, whereas they can ask, I think more people are comfortable calling us for that reason. Um, although we do have strong allies um, that are, you know, outside of the LGBTQ community, there's still a lot of fear of reaching out to those folks. Mm. Do you find, you know, and, and one of the things that I think that, that's nice about SAFE, and, you know, we think that everything is cool. I have been with people who are of a different generation, um, and mm -hmm. we were there, and even though, you know, and, and they have even said, you know, they look even at millennials and everything and kids, and they're like, oh, well, you know, they're just all happy to be here and be married. And, but, you know, they said, we have to... to to get used to that, you know, like they've been like in the closet so long and have to not yeah. be able to define their relationships that, you know, it's kind of hard. And to, and like you were saying, like if you go to the doctor to where now you might be, you know, we could go in there and say, you know, my wife, you know, or my mm -hmm. husband if I was a gay man. But maybe all this time you've been going to the doctor and you've just been you and now you want to go in and you want to talk about, you know, end of life issues, health care issues mm -hmm. and you go like my wife and maybe they're going to react to you. So there's still that fear. Mm -hmm. You know, I was in Atlanta exactly. and there's a woman who said um, when she went to this doctor who she'd been seeing all of her life and when she went in, she was real happy to say my wife, she noticed a change. The sage do you recognize, you know, are you able to help people claim, you know, be out, you know, like they said, well, I've been out, but now, you know, being out is different, and help them navigate those things, help them, you know, like be prepared that maybe someone will respond different, but you don't have to just, like, take it. Like, if your health care provider has to, I mean, are you, is Sage there yeah. to help that? Oh, absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, I think definitely – we are doing that on two different fronts. So one is certainly through talking to individuals who reach out to us and making sure they have a, you know, a safe and, and comfortable space to talk through that with us. But the other thing we're doing pretty aggressively is actually reaching out to healthcare providers and service providers to make sure that they are trained so that they know, mm. what, you know how to be culturally responsive. And we've got um, we do in-person training, although obviously not now, but we have a pretty robust online training program that also not only gives providers information, but requ really requires them to make a commitment for, you know, we have different topics, but each training that they do, they have to make a commitment to, 
do some change within their, you know, their own services or their organization. And then we track that commitment and we follow up to see what worked, what didn't work. So we're also able to kind of try to, the goal is to kind of actually create cultural and system, you know, systems change so that it's not just on us to navigate mm -hmm. that, but mm -hmm. on the providers mm -hmm. to do it too. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, I think that's good because, you know, we talk about cultural competency. But I think that when people think about it, they don't think about it as an aging issue, you know. They right. don't think about right. it, you know. And, you know, I've been in situations where, I mean, this, I was with these two women, and one of them said, well, she's my, my friend. She said, well, actually, you know what, after, I forget how many years they've been together, she said, I don't have to call her my friend anymore. That's my partner, my wife. And I'm going like, yes, yeah. you know. But, I mean, uh -huh. that, that's a level of, of, of cultural competency that, you know, we don't talk about. And, like, with healthcare providers uh -huh. to sort of like, you know, if you come in and say, and who is this? Well, of course, you know. Right. I, where if they see a couple, a heterosexual couple that comes in, that they'll, they'll say that. But, you know, aging is such a... It's a hard thing because, you know, sometimes, like, you want to be recognized. Like, I've had people say, like, I don't know if I want to be called elder because it sounds right. like everything is over, you know. But right, right. we're living longer and we're, we're starting to, to do more things. It's, how does mm -hmm. SAGE address that? Like, you know, like, this might not be – this is the second stage of your life, you know. This is, a, this is another act. How do you how – do help people feel that, feel that, you know, hey, it's not over. Right, right. Well, so we are we're trying to create um, a really positive space in terms of making people feel, you know, pride in, in aging, even though there are all sorts of, you know, we know that there are barriers that come with that, uh, but there are also so many opportunities too. And so we're, we're trying to do some um, back one of the things that we're doing, you know, with you, you graciously agreed to do is mm -hmm. our, our virtual stage program. So that's also, you know, well, well, the pandemic that we're experiencing is actually really heartbreaking. Um, and we know that the statistics are, you know, pretty devastating for many older adults, uh, particularly older adults of color. We are also, know, we also know that we have to, we have to have some positive, positivity mm -hmm. in our lives to, to navigate this and to, and to really to fight this. And so, we're trying to create some positive programming that actually allows folks to, um, to, to, to experience the pride of connection at, you know, through aging that, that may be missing, I think, in some other spaces because of the, the nature of the services that, that you know, we're able to do. And I think the other thing, too, in terms of sort of thinking about aging with pride is that we are really committed to being really broad and open about how we define aging and older adults. And so there mm -hmm. is undoubtedly stigma and ageism within our community. And I think um, the terminology that we use, it's very, you know, we're very, we try to be really responsive to what folks are saying. Um, but, you know, older adults, we, we try to kind of use that, although, you know, when people ask us, who do you serve? We say, well, you know, we, we serve older adults generally. And quite frankly, we have folks as young as, 39 in some of our programs, mm -hmm. um, and then of course our intergenerational programs. We have folks who are 18 and older, 
But um, in terms of folks who self-identify as older adults, some are as young as 39. And we do know that there are these different cohorts of older adults. And so we have folks that are kind of more sort of like baby boomers, right, or even sort of even younger, maybe mid-adult, and then we've got this baby boomer generation. And then we have another cohort that's, you know, experienced the, um, I guess, the like lavender scare, right, and so the, the, the mm-hmm. 50s McCarthyism stuff. And so there's this criminalization, you know, that's like hyper-criminalization of, of being out that can be all obviously layered um, with criminalization um, for, for being a person of color. So all of these different intersecting issues that we're seeing and we're experiencing, particularly of that cohort of, of older adults. And then we have another cohort that's even older that really, you know, we sort of think of, of them as the, sort of the silent generation that were, were, were never really out, they, you know, because it wasn't really discussed and still maybe aren't out. And even though things have changed to some degree culturally, continue to remain in the closet. Um, and so we've got these different layers of, of cohorts of older adults that, you know, we're, we're trying to sort of navigate. Like, how do, you, how do you respond to these different groups in ways that give folks pride when you know there's a whole group of folks that aren't coming out, still will not come out, but you want to make sure that they feel comfortable to get the services they need and to feel comfortable with who they are, even if they are still feeling um, hesitant to come out in various communities for their own you know, for a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. As you've walked and, and you, what have you learned and made you stop to think about yourself as you age? That's a, that's a great question. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think for me, um, I, you know, I think it's actually the pride thing. I think we just, we do have a lot of ageism. Um, and I think I've been much more, you know, doing this work has really shined a light for me and made it much more visible of how much we really do sort of characterize older adults in a way that is really negative, but yet mm-hmm. doing the work and, and it's just not that at all, actually. So I think that's, I've learned a lot about the positive aspects about aging um, that I think are really missing from a lot of um, like cultural narratives, and you don't see it as much in the media, things like that. But it is real life. There are a lot of positive experiences that people are having, community connections that people are making, and, and they are in part because of aging. Mm-hmm. You know, I've met uh, in two cities, I have met women who were older, who have partners who are younger, and what what's interesting is the younger partner pursued them, and they said, you know, and they're, like, quick to put that out there. It's like, and also how surprised <laughs> they were. And I'm going, well, look at you. You're a vibrant, alive individual. <laughs> Why wouldn't someone be interested exactly. in Exactly. You know, yeah. these guys, you know, and, and I know some people, like, if they've been in a relationship in a long time and they've lost their partner, and then it's like finding love later in life. Do you, is that something that Sage talks about? We, you know, we've talked about it. I think we have different, um, we've had different community groups and different community mm-hmm. conversations where that's come up. So it's come up when we've talked about caregiving and what's sort of like mm. thinking about next steps. And we have had folks who have lost loved ones. And, you know, it's devastating, of course. But then there is that, you know, I, I do want to connect that, that conversation. And so I think those come up a lot in our more of our community conversations, 
or through our, our telephone um, matching programs through the, you know, through the conversations there. Um, and I think you know, that's definitely something that's come up as well. We do an annual summit. Um, this year we are unfortunately going to be we're re shifting our, our summit to a symposium that's slightly different, but we, it's an older adult, LGBT older adult um, symposium that has variety of speakers come in. And we do, mm -hmm. that is an issue that's come up a number of times is, is love, what is love and sex, what does that look like right now? Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's a really popular topic actually at our summit. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, cause, I mean, I hear that. And the other thing that I also hear is like, um, I was talking to someone who said not only did she not realize, you know, that she was going to live that long to be in her 80s, but not planning for that and that, that, that fear, like, you know, well, I have enough money to live. Yeah. Uh, I mean, do you right. provide, like, uh, a level of, to have those kind of financial uh, conversations? Yeah, so, I mean, so, you know, what we do is through our Friendly Caller program and these community conversations and community events and, and some of these social events that we have, we try to provide resources on a variety of topics, and certainly our summit is a great place where we do that. And we've provided financial tools that involve um, anything from how to create the documents you need to protect yourself to mm -hmm. what kind of resources help you prevent yourself from being evicted, um, how do you um, keep yourself, um, like how do you, what kind of, even, you know, what kinds of things do you need to keep uh, what kind of documents do you need to keep for um, financial security in other ways, you know, or, or what kinds of, what kind of resources can you use to access different services that, um, you know, have certain income thresholds and things like that. So we do help folks, um, you know, through those avenues in a variety of different ways, both financial, health, um, you know, very, a lot of different topics. Housing, of course, that's a big one that's mm -hmm. coming up a lot too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. I mean, especially, I mean, when you see that, you know, how neighborhoods are changing, there's some other, we don't know mm -hmm. when it's going to be like with this, with this pandemic, you know, what, I mean, because right. I know I hear some places that housing things are going down. I want to take like a quick break, but then I want to talk about um, the virtual uh, event and some other things. So give me a minute. I'll be right back. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. You know, one of the things that I think that I'm really excited about, and I'm 
pleased that you that I, I was I was included to be a part of a like your virtual events and you know we talked briefly about social isolation and so you're gonna do a virtual event. Okay, first of all, okay, let's blow the stereotype out and, and talk about how we do it. Most people think and many people of a different generation go like, I don't know nothing about computers, I don't know nothing about doing this but we know, but then there's some people who are like really, really savvy. I often tell people that I had a friend who passed, Grace Boggs, and Grace was almost, she was like in her 90s, and she was on social media before I was, <laughs> you know. And, and when she died, she was like, when she died, she died at 100, and she had, but she had Twitter, she had Twitter. So first of all, I think that's a, a big falsehood that if you're over yeah. a certain age, you don't understand it. Right. You're offering a virtual event. And if I'm listening, I'm a member of SAGE, and I hear this, how will people participate? So you can participate. We have um, a couple of different ways you can participate. Um, it does require registration. And if folks are nervous about that, they can reach out to me directly or someone else who can help them register. Mm -hmm. um, and so you can participate, participate by phone or through an actual um, uh, sort of it's, it's through Zoom, which is an online platform that allows folks to connect um, in a variety of different ways, both visually and also by phone. And so we have a link that we have on our – we have a web page on our website, which is www.sagemetrodetroit.org that has information about the social. Mm -hmm. And then I can yeah. also give a phone number. We have a phone number that people could call that. Um, okay, what's, what uh, is that? It's 734-242-2000. Uh, mm -hmm. 734-242-2000. And it's okay. okay. also reach out at any time to our general email, which is info at sagemetrodetroit.org. Okay. So um, I know that a lot of organizations are doing things to connect virtually. What made you, and I'm um, you meaning Sage Metro Detroit, feel mm -hmm. that it was necessary to take this route, to do something virtually? Yeah, so it actually came from our like community members that were really really wanted it. So and these are we had we have two we have uh, multiple groups, but I think two key groups that really were asking for this. And so we have our the folks within our friendly caller program who are already participating in the caller program that are not doing anything virtually, just phone calls. And they are, you know, we had a lot of requests from those from the folks in that program that they wanted more that even though the telephone calls and our, our, the duration of our calls have, have significantly increased during the pandemic, um, on average they've tripled, but folks still want more connection. And so the virtual, I, it came from them actually to some degree, um, but the virtual option gives folks, even if they just have a telephone and not any computer or access to, um, to that option, they can still participate. And then it also gives folks, or folks who are not out and don't want to participate maybe visually in the same way, they can still participate. And we did have some participants who still, even though they were, they're not out, 
um, completely or in certain communities, they still wanted to have this option because they're feeling still really isolated. And so we are, you know, this gives us the opportunity to address that. And then we had a whole other group of folks who really have grown significantly in terms of um, reaching out to us. And these are folks that actually feel or felt pretty well connected, but are now during the pandemic feeling very disconnected. And so a lot of these folks were actually volunteer callers or volunteers in some other capacity, but are, are feeling really isolated. And so they wanted something to keep them connected and grounded, but also they were sick of hearing about COVID. And even though they want to have mm -hmm. access to resources, they also wanted to have something fun to distract them from the pandemic. And so that, that was actually, those are the, those are the reasons why, we're, why we developed the virtual, um, these social, what we're calling Sage Socials. It's basically a way to kind of stay socially connected, but in a way that kind of is, is positive and uplifting. Mm -hmm. and, um, mm -hmm. We do want to provide resources after each, um, you know, at the end of each of these socials, but but we're not gonna we, we're explicitly not using them um, as a way to sort of share some of the like you know you, you know it's only sharing positive you know we're really trying to keep it a positive mm -hmm. upbeat uplifting event. Now you know prior to this, like I know that you had coffee clashes and 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 events where people could come together. Um, Hopefully, and when when things get better, will you go? Will you continue the virtual and do in-person events? Yeah, we certainly hope to. Now, Senior Coffee Clutch is a program through Affirmations, um, and so we have folks in, in Sage Metro Detroit that attend Senior Coffee Clutch, um, and then we also have folks in Sage Metro Detroit um, that do an in-person support and discussion group. Uh, through the Detroit Elder Project, which is at Hannon Center in, in Detroit. Mm -hmm. um, and then we provide funding for dinners for the Detroit Elder Project. Um, but those have both, of course, gone to either virtual or they're just not currently. They've just they've stopped momentarily or temporarily. And so we do, uh, we do, you know, I think we all hope that those will and plan to have those attend, you know, re re resume in-person meetings as soon as possible. But in the meantime, um, you know, you know, we're trying to all come up with creative solutions to provide this connection and services. Um, and so, you know, I know for Sage, like we were doing a lot more in-person stuff as well in terms of, you know, our big summit, our annual summit. This is our 10th anniversary, mm -hmm. and we've had to, you know, shift that a little bit to moving things. Right now, we have stuff in person, at least temporarily. We're we're, we're thinking of pushing stuff to the fall, but that's also kind of up in the air. Um, so, you know, we're all very eager to do in-person things, but we're also trying to come up with some creative options to keep people connected and informed while we have to, you know, not be in person right now. But I will say that we do have – oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Finish that. You do have what? We – yeah, so I was going to say, so in addition to social isolation, we are really committed to addressing food insecurity and issues about food. Mm -hmm. and so. We are, we do have a program developing where we're going to be directly, and we've already started to do this um, kind of a, on a, you know, kind of case-by-case -case basis essentially where um, we connect people directly to volunteers who deliver food um, because not everyone is eligible for programs like Meals on Wheels or mm -hmm. doesn't have access to the transportation to go pick up boxes or things like that of food. 
So we're trying to get volunteers to bring it directly to the individuals. We've already been doing that with a couple of different individuals in our Friendly Caller program. So I mean, you know, I guess that's an in-person service that we're still, you know, mm -hmm. doing and, and growing, although it's not at all the same as our in-person, you know, community groups or events or anything like that. Now, you know, it, it sounds too like you part of between the calls and everything, you're listening to people. And you know, when it's not just like, hey, how are you doing? Do you need anything? You're also you're having these conversations, developing these relationships with, with the adults who you serve, but you're listening to them and then trying to, to respond in ways to give them some of the things that they need, that they're recognizing that they need in their lives. Absolutely. And I have, to, I have to give a huge shout out to our Friendly Caller Program um, coordinator, manager, uh, Keisha Watkinsuki. She's really developed a strong program that I think has made this program especially successful for that very reason. I mean, we have the volunteers making calls, but she goes, I think, really above and beyond to make sure that people feel connected and listened to. And our caller program, the duration of our calls, I mean, if you look at the data, they're, they're significantly longer than I think a lot of other telephone programs um, because they need to be. You know, we, we have folks who really do, um, you know, there's a lot of complexity in terms of the issues and also, you know, that, that's a, a service that's needed right now. So she's done, I think, a great job in building this program, um, and, sh and I think, um, a big part of its success is, is, should be attributed to, to her wonderful work as well as other community members and volunteers that have helped build this. Now, you know, you're a small group of people working, but you're pretty mighty. I mean, you know, you know <laughs> I mean, you guys are, I mean, really, like you've got, when you stop, you, you have like a small step, but you've got volunteers who are reaching out and doing it. And, you know, and that's great. I mean, that's really great. I know that 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 phone call, I mean, which it's often like the really like the first contact with someone, that can mean so much. And they're like you're saying how you expand it. Like it's not like, you know, just like a quick, hey, how you doing? You give people, sometimes that phone call might be that person's lifeline. Uh, and mm -hmm. I think that that's just like really amazing that you're doing it. I've attended the summit, and it's just like it's, it's really powerful to see and that it gives people an opportunity to talk. I'm sorry that, well, you know, everything and I was getting juggled and switched, her, switched around to do it, <laughs> you know, to yeah. do that. Um, normally in June we celebrate pride. Yeah. And, I, you know, now we know we don't know what's happening. We see more and more people are canceling it, postponing it, and doing it. How the Sage Metro Detroit, how are you thinking about celebrating pride? Yeah, that's a great question. That's another one where I think we're trying to come up with some creative options because, you know, we were one of our big events is our summit, which is a, mm -hmm. you know, really fun, mm -hmm. exciting, informative event. And we, we can't do it right now in June, at least not in person. And so, I think we have a couple of things that we are, you know, kind of cooking up in the works. And one of them is really building on these, these new socials, these virtual socials that we're developing. And so one thing I would love to do, and I know we've been talking about this, is to have, you know, Sage um, USA developed this thing called Sage Table. 
And mm -hmm. it's an event where you have intergenerational conversations across dinner. So one mm -hmm. thing I know we want to do is have that, but you know, blow it up into a bigger event and actually be able to offer food that's delivered to people. But that's um, you know, kind of a, a little bit of a you know, good quality food in terms of like you know something that is is um, something to feel like you, you know you're being celebrated, you're being honored, as well mm -hmm. as having these mm -hmm. really great conversations, um, you know, in a virtual space, a telephone space, in a way that is still safe but still allows us to celebrate pride um, in a way that is meaningful. So there are a couple of different creative ways we're trying to think through this. Um, there are virtual potlucks, that kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm, certainly having mm -hmm. people talk, you know, talk to one another, stay connected in creative ways. Um, I think you know, we're still exploring a lot of those options, but I think there are some you – know, and any time you have these sort of times of like really harsh, harsh – circumstances, we also have a lot of great innovation. And so I think we are trying to come up with some innovative, creative strategies to keep people connected, make sure they have the food and services they need. And well, June and Pride and you know, Pride time you know, is a great time mm -hmm. to really start testing some of this. And so we're going to see, I think, the Sage table. I think we have, we have, some, I think we have some creative ideas to make that um, a, po a possibility during Pride. And then we have some other possible, possible um, I think, ways to sort of bring the speaker, the speaker forms that we've done in the past with the summit in a more virtual format. So stay tuned. More to come on that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in many ways, I look at stage, you know, it's a keeper of our history. I mean, these these individuals, I mean, the lives that we've led, and it's a place where people can come together and, like, even if it's, like, through a potluck and you're, when you're talking about a dish that you bring and maybe there's a memory of it or the places that maybe not aren't anymore and to have these, be able to have these conversations. And SAGE, by providing that space, is a keeper of our history. But... Have you started to in any way to archive or collect any of these stories from your members? Oh, I love, love, love that question. And yes, resoundingly yes. And so this is a newer <laughs> this is kind of a newer initiative that <laughs> that we are uh, trying to to tackle and it really wasn't kind of commemoration of our tenth anniversary. So that even though the organization itself is only the nonprofit, it's it's our fifth anniversary this year, mm -hmm. but as a the co or the um, because of the coalition we have the summit is its 10th anniversary would have been this year, so in honor of that we were actually in the process of collecting those you know trying to archive the stories and you know the information that you know we kind of all have in our heads or a lot of us have in our heads. Mm -hmm. So I think the project it's it's still very in its early stages I would say, but that is another another. I think another creative, innovative project that we're going to try to launch um, over the next few months, and certainly something I think that will be kind of an exciting thing to reveal during during Pride. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, really, I mean, because just when you stop and you, and you think of some of the people and, and the things that they've done, you know, who are such treasures, and that there's a place that they can they can come together and talk, and then we can sort of say, hey, you know, we need to capture that. We need to capture that now. Absolutely. And using technology, there's also ways that you can start to to capture those those video stories. You know, mm -hmm. I like what is that one that NPR show? Uh, StoryCorps. 
I would love right. to have an LGBT story core, you know, of just here. You know, mm-hmm. I can think of, um, I sat down once with Jim Toy and, 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 and you know, mm-hmm. in the Jim Toy Center and to have him mm-hmm. tell me stories and it's like, wow, Jim, you know, you just want to capture another person <laughs> who normally we would be celebrating every year they had a birthday party for him. This has been his 90th birthday and they're doing something virtually, virtual, wow. you know, to to celebrate it, you know. But there are so many great stories, and you know, to have this place for it. Your home right now is in well, right now your home is is virtually your home is your office. But I know that you have a space in in affirmations. Is that where you see yourself staying, or do you see yourself like um, having a bigger presence in the community? Or are you happy to be within that site working collaboratively? You know, so that's our legal address, and affirmations emerged as our kind of informal parent. But we really do, <laughs> we really predominantly work in a lot of different community spaces. And so we actually, so for example, our meeting, we have um, our community meetings and board meetings. Half of the year they're taking place at affirmations, and the other, which is, you know, in Ferndale. The other half of the year, they take place at the Hannon Center, which is in Detroit. And mm-hmm. then we, do what we also do a lot of work in, in Detroit through, the, you know, through Corktown Health Center. And so, I mean, we oh, really okay. are kind of, yeah, we are kind of, you know, we, we don't, all of us actually work virtually through our, you know, our home spaces. We don't actually work directly at affirmations, although we, um, we have space there and they are, you know, a tremendous, tremendous partner. Um, and they, you know, having that legal legal address and everything is incredibly helpful, and, and it provides us a space to to get mail, things like that. We have the same arrangement actually at Hannon Center um, in Detroit, and so we do kind of have. I think I I, th- I I feel like we have these different spaces that we consider kind of our office locations, or we were starting to develop that at least. So we had um, Hannon Center in Detroit, and then. Um, affirmations in Ferndale, and we were looking at places in Washtenaw County to also add kind of a third kind of official address for us in, in Washtenaw County. But, um, you know, we've sort of put that on hold a little bit right now. Uh, but we are, we, we, we do engage so much in the community that our address is, is it's just, it's, I guess in a non-traditional way, we have lots of addresses, I suppose, mm-hmm. because we really mm-hmm. are working in so many spaces. And I, I think that really works well for us and allows us to work with a lot of different communities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that, that that's important to know because I know that I know that you you have things at different places, but you know I know about Hannon House. I you know I didn't know that that you do things in Washtenaw County, and I think that that's important that people know that. Say it might say Metro Detroit, but mm-hmm. is it like? Southeast Michigan, where, you know, I guess some would say that we have our largest LGBT um, population, but it's there for everyone. But what about, you know, Metro Metro Detroit, would, that name sometimes might make some people think that it's not for them. Like I, could, I know I could think of some people who, I mean, they might be aware of you but uh, in Washington County, but who might not think that, it means them. Um, yeah. How do you get how do you get beyond that? 
Well, it is there, that is definitely a barrier, and I think it's really just you know making sure that people have the information and making sure that we are out and about in, in different communities. And so visibility is really critical for that. So even though even our name is Sage Metro Detroit, and our focus is um, primarily four counties in southeast Michigan, which is Wayne, Washtenaw, Oakland, and Macomb. Um, we do predominantly a lot of our work really is in, I would say, probably Wayne and Oakland, although we do really do serve all four counties. Um, mm -hmm. We also have projects in the Upper Peninsula, and mm. it's because we're the, we're the only organization in Michigan that's specifically focusing on LGBT aging. And so as a result, we've, we've, we have had projects all throughout Michigan where we've worked closely with different organizations. Um, and so, yeah, just having that visibility and making sure that we're developing partnerships, that's really how we've helped kind of bridge that obstacle. I mean, you know, we do still, our core focus is really the Metro Detroit area and, and really Southeast Michigan, but, um, but we do actually provide services outside of that area as well. So awareness mm -hmm. helps us, you know, visibility, I guess, mm -hmm. really. So, I mean, the message is, you know, I mean, and there could, you know, feasibly be a small group, like, like you said, like the people who are in the Upper Peninsula, they could all, you know, be connecting, but also connect through you and get access to resources and other organizations. Um, you work right. collaboratively. I know that at the summit, I've seen people there from AARP. Um, who else are you working with nationally? Nationally, we um, so AARP and actually AARP. I would say, we, well, we have had national a national speaker come from AARP. Um, we don't. I would say. Well, and we do have actually we've had several national speakers from AARP, but we do probably work, at least in the past, we've worked a little bit more closely with AARP Michigan than we have with AARP nationally, but, but it is, you know, a national organization. We've also worked, we work closely with um, the area agencies on aging, which mm -hmm. um, more sort of a, on a local state basis. Um, I think, you know, the Alzheimer's Association also comes to mind. So we work closely with sort of the local sort of state-based um, Alzheimer's Associations, but there's, you know, obviously it's a national entity as well. Um, and then on a national level, we also work closely with um, other national, state, and, and, and local LGBT organizations um, throughout, you know, throughout like I said, on national, state, and local communities to make sure that, you know, we're staying connected and, and having the best resources and sharing what resources that, and information we have from our area in Michigan. So I think those are kind of our key partners. But really we do have, um, we do have, I mean, the area agencies on aging I think really are kind of a, especially in, in southeast Michigan. And also, you know, we've developed these relationships with area agencies on aging in the Upper Peninsula, and the Upper Thumb region, even in Western Michigan, that have been really strong partners. Um, and so I think those have been really great. I think, I think those have probably been some of our stronger partners. But we also have new kind of emerging partnerships that we have developed over the past maybe two years um, with organizations that are providing services to older adults in other capacities. So like, for example, um, Disability Network of Oakland and Macomb County um, is another organization. So lots of service provider organizations like that that 
aren't necessarily um, they're, they're ally organizations, right? Like, so they're not they're not LGBT based, um, and they may not even be aging specific, but because they serve LGBT older adults or LGBTQ older adults, we we've been able to develop some strong partnerships with them to make sure that our communities are well served. Coming to the end, and I was going to ask you, um, what can people, you know, we talked about the services, and like, what would you suggest is the best way for them to to get involved with Sage Metro Detroit or stay abreast of, even if you don't think that you're an elder? <laughs> you know, you just might want to know <laughs> just because it, there are fun things to do. Would that be through yeah. your um, website and the information line? Yes, we also have a newsletter. It's a monthly newsletter, but it also, I mean, we have been um, providing a couple of times um, a few ancillary newsletters as well. But that's a great way to, one, see what's happening with SAGE. Also, we have a policy um, blurb section, and we have resources in the newsletter. That's probably one of the best ways to find out what's going on is to mm -hmm. sign up for our newsletter. And that you can email me directly or the info at sagemetrodetroit.org and you know, get access to that. Um, the other way is through our website. Um, I would say if we weren't in the pandemic, it would also be that we are, we are out in the community a lot, mm -hmm. but now it's, a, it's definitely, um, you know, we're doing much more virtual stuff. But if folks are also interested in the Friendly Caller program as a volunteer or as someone who's wanting to um, stay connected, then you know, we, you can also call our uh, Keisha, our coordinator and manager of the program, mm -hmm. and her number is um, the 248 567-2363. Yeah, so I think those are kind of the key ways to stay connected right now, even mm -hmm. though I think we have far, we have, you know, I think our volunteer opportunities, if folks want to stay connected on that front, are, are, are growing exponentially. So there are so many ways to stay connected. <laughs> we also have um, public board meetings. So if you're interested in just hearing what goes on with SAGE, we are, and we are meeting vir virtually now, but we meet the third Wednesday of every month from 9.30 to 11. Okay. okay. You know, um, well, that's great. Um, Angie, I really appreciate it. I know you've got another meeting to go to. Um, I also have a feeling that once this breaks, that people are going to just want to be engaged and involved. And I think it's, it's people are rethinking things, you know, and it's sort of like, well, why have I been in the closet or you know, how do I connect with other people? When you haven't been able to talk to people, you want to talk to people. Right. So, I mean, I'm right. like there will be volunteers and things that will come out of this. But um, Excellent. And when this is over, I look forward to meeting you in person. You know, but, um, <laughs> I do, too. <laughs> I know. It's like, I mean, that's the other thing, that there's so many people that I'm meeting virtually that I'm looking forward to, to doing it off. Exactly. That was Angie Perrone, Executive Director of SAGE Metro Detroit. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, 
Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. Sage's first virtual social was Thursday, April 30th. Participating in that event with me was Detroit poet Kelly Native Child Brown. Not only is she a phenomenal poet, Kelly's a working mother. She took time from her busy schedule to talk with us as we close this National Poetry Month. I also wanted to talk about National Poetry Month. I know that you are recognized as a slam poet, but how mm-hmm. did you get involved in poetry? And did you did you start out like with like the things in school, the more traditional roses are red, violets are blue kind of poetry, <laughs> and then move to slam? Um, unfortunately, yes, I did start with that. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I was writing, you know, when I was really, really young. And so, like, some of my initial poems, like, when I was, like, five or six years old were very basic, you know. But my mom was very encouraging because she writes as well. So she's like, oh, that's great. Keep doing. Go, you know. Um, so when I went to um, I went to Central um, for my undergrad and I did uh, creative writing, a couple semesters of creative writing, and I had a um, – and by then I was, like, hitting open mics and stuff. and. Mm-hmm which is a great, you know, place to test out material. But I had a, a, a professor that was like, uh, no, you're not writing for open mic. I need you to, to you're better than that. Um, mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa, whoa. But um, he would encourage me to write for more print and for publication. And so that's when I got my starting start, you know, writing for publication and getting published. So, um, but then, like, I went to a, a competition once, and I was like, whoa, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was like, I want to do that. And I've been doing it. Now, like seriously, for the last three years, hitting in more national competitions, but I've been mm-hmm. doing slam for about eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, um, I've I've had some publications over the last couple of years. I'm, I'm trying to venture more into to doing more published work um, and finishing up a, um, a chat book and doing a, um, some other stuff. But obviously, COVID has kind of slowed the process down. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Now, for those who don't know, what what is slam poetry? So, um, depending on who you talk to, um, you, um, it, it's a culture. Obviously, um, the mm-hmm. originator was Mark Smith. Mark Smith is kind of depending on the poet. They really don't like to mention because there were some issues with him in the community and how <laughs> uh, how 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 slam has kind of evolved. Um, so. Um, but it's it's like poetry on steroids, you know. It's, mm-hmm. it's a competition. It's highly competitive. Um, a lot of the the pieces are personal pieces, and they're from they're they're derived from pain um, and the poet's experience. Which, depending on who you talk to, they'll say that they don't like that that part of of slam poet, mm-hmm. of slam poetry, because they feel like you're you're um, using your pain to win. Uh, mm. But I think it's a great. Uh, avenue for poets who might not have access to that traditional, you know, publication 
uh, role to be able to be featured in things like uh, there's a um, button poetry right about now. Um, there's a couple of uh, visual publications that they do where poets can be highlighted and spotlighted, poets of color, um, LGBT poets, you know, that that can be spotlighted where a traditional brick-and-mortar publication place might not um, take their pieces and publish them or they might not view them as one of those traditional poets, you know, that we see faces that don't look like ours. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's, it's a really beautiful art form. It's highly competitive. Um, I always tell artists, like, when they start out doing slam, like, either you're going to love it or you're not going to love it. Mm-hmm. There's, like, no middle ground at all, you know, because it's like you have random people judging your poems, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and it can be discouraging and disheartening, but, you know, at the same time, it's very invigorating, you know, because you're around all this great energy. You know, it's funny that you put it that way because I talked to a young lady who is in Dallas, and she's a poet. And when I mentioned, you know, she said, I hate slam poetry. <laughs> but you know, I'm going like, to, you know, and a lot of what she wrote came, what she writes comes from her personal journey. But she said she didn't like it for those very reasons. Like she said, like, like she thought in her poetry how she was being very open and, and, and leaving herself raw and then you're like you're being judged and all like that. Mm-hmm. And she said, oh, I just mm-hmm. hate it. But, mm-hmm. okay, I don't see myself. I, I think that I'm fragile enough to know where. I don't think I, I'd be ready to put my, myself up there for that kind of thing. I mean, I like open mics. I like to do that. But that part would. But on the other hand, when I go, there's something that, I mean, you there's ways that it, you really feel it. I have had, listen to someone do poetry, I've listened to you. And and it just like opens up something in my heart and in my soul that I just like really, really feel, you know, because of the venue, the way it's presented. Right. That, you know, and that's the thing that, like you said, either they love it, <laughs> people love it, or they hate it. But I think that you can, not want to do it, but really, really appreciate. It. I think it's a, I think it's a really beautiful form. So, you're trying to get into to writing more and mm-hmm. getting published. Mm-hmm. How has that been? Um, it's actually been pretty well. Um, I I gotta ramp it up a little bit. Um, I've I've submitted. In the last two years, probably about ten different things. Like it's not a, you know, I'm not. Um, and out of those ten things, I was like, um, I've been published like five times, which which I understand is actually a pretty good percentage rate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I'm exploring. Um, they have like the new genre, the new the new media genre where you 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 uh, submit uh, filmed poetry, like mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. yeah, it's a oh, oh it's a, I, I'm encouraging a lot of poets to try to try it out. Where you you know you uh, film your po- your poems and you submit it to um to to places and they like I got published in a place where it was a really beautiful spread but they they published my poem online but they also did a chapbook where they highlighted the poem where people could go to the link and watch and watch it and I just loved how they had that layout mm-hmm. so that was something that that I want to um, try to do more of as well but um, I also write. Um, nonfiction, short stories, flash fiction, you know, stuff like that. But those are things, like, I kind of had my roots in when I was doing the creative writing work up at Central, and I just haven't been really tapped into it. I wrote a short story about um, being 
um, quarantined, and I submitted that to a few places. And when I read it to my mom, she was like, why do you always read me stuff that makes me cry? <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But, but it talked about the, the, new, the new normal and routine, and I was like, my routine every morning is I get up every morning and I cry for about 10 minutes. But I was like, but that's my routine as me kind of settling in. So this is my normal and my fears and everything I need to get it out so I can start the day and process and be strong for my family. Um, and, you know, you know, and it's funny that sometimes something can do that. But do you ever have that? I mean, I've had that where it's somebody who's like from a totally different walk of life and they say like, you know, that's my story. and mm-hmm. And so – even though it might be this is what you do, there are other people who are experiencing the same thing, and it's kind of mm-hmm. like a a family, like that you connect to. You know? Yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes, as I see, as I see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so don't worry about I mean, I had something that was printed, published in a publication this year that I had forgotten I had sent them, and I just sort of figured, well, they just didn't like it, you know, and I just sort of mm-hmm. kept, kept it going, but, you know, but it is something that, that's nice when it does. In, you know, you talked about doing the video piece. In this age of social media, do you see that maybe your writing, your performance piece, that you're going to be able to incorporate some of these things, like the, the video conferencing, this virtual uh, social event that we're going to do, to, that we've done by the time this airs, together for safe. Do you see all that kind of like merging together and being like what will be for what they always say, the new normal for a performance artist, a poet? Absolutely. I've seen a lot of, because um, a lot of my friends and, um, and um, peers who are full-time artists, you know, I only, I'm only part-time, you know, um, mm-hmm. I, I can't buy into the starving artist thing as of yet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But a lot of my friends are are full time artists, and you know, once everything started going and and um, venues started closing, you know, um, they were like, "Oh my God, what am I gonna do?" And so then then the 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 trend of doing things social, the social media trend, doing uh, live performances, doing the tip jar, you know, via Cash App and all and Vimo and mm-hmm. all these other mm-hmm. um, uh, avenues started to pop up, and now you know you're inundated with all these uh, virtual open mics and I think it's a very it's a fascinating thing and it's working for people. I don't think it's something that's gonna go away. I think it's gonna definitely evolve and with the new um generation I would say new generation, but you know like um uh the new uh millennials and, and younger mm-hmm. um they're already connected socially through mm-hmm. uh, yeah, they're already connected. So I see it growing in art form. I don't know what direction but I definitely think that looking at it and um and um investing time in it to grow as an artist is definitely a um not only a profitable profitable venue but also something that you could probably get your work out there and, and have people notice you uh without spending a whole lot of money because you know you always have to invest in your art. Mhm. It's funny. I have a friend who's in Ohio who's who's doing all that with the with the with the tip jar and all like that. And I was mm-hmm. talking to her and she said like. Her new theme song, <laughs> she said, it's hard out here for performance artists. <laughs> she, said, mm-hmm. she, said, she said, I never thought I would be borrowing from Hustle and Flow, but it's hard out here. And I said, well, <laughs> yeah, you know. And, and like you said, you know, I can't quite totally buy into 
the starving artist thing, you know, this is not a time when someone's going, you can find a patron to do it. What words would you give to an, an aspiring poet, writer from, who might even just be in high school or even younger from your own personal experience? Uh, two things. Um, first of all, uh, find your voice and mm-hmm. develop it um, because there's only one you and only one unique voice that is you. Uh, I um, struggle with um, other with the stereotype of the angry black woman, uh, and it's like a lot of times you go into venues. Like I, I don't, I consider I consider my voice more kind of a, a womanist. It is angry, but not <laughs> where I'm yelling at yelling at everyone and just mm-hmm. laughing them in the face with my wo- my words, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but I think as as women of color, you know, we have different levels of, of of anger that we that it's okay that we can dive into, and it doesn't always have to be this, you know, fierce, scary. You know, you're going to take my energy or and like it or or not, you know, kind of thing. But definitely find your voice and stay there and and, and grow in it. Um, the other thing is don't um, look to other uh, artists um, as like your um, – I'm trying to explain this the right way. Don't look at other artists and and measure yourself to their, their talents and their gifts because your talents and gifts are unique. You know, sometimes you can get discouraged, like, well, this person is doing this. Why can't I do it? You know, I wrote a poem just like this person. You know, why isn't my poem successful? Don't, don't gauge that as your, your uh, measure of success because everybody's voice is unique. Everybody's um, perspective is unique. You know, develop what you have, your voice that you have, develop, you know, um, and really explore who you are as an artist. Mm-hmm. Now, you're a mom. Do you see mm-hmm. potential poets, writers, and either of your daughters, and how do you encourage them to have their own voice and not go like, well, my mom did this, you know? How do you you be a role model and an inspiration but set set a limit so that they can blossom? So my babies are, I have two daughters, uh, 23 and 10, um, yeah, I know. I know. I know. And they are actually, they're artists, but artists in, in, in a different sense. My oldest daughter uh, is cosplay, which is mm-hmm. kind of mystifying to me. I don't, I don't get it. But she comes <laughs> up with, she, she comes up with the most creative uh, uh, outfits and, and she goes, she likes to go to the Comic-Cons and um, she just, she invests a, a lot of time and money into it. Um, but she just, it, I mean, she transforms into the characters and, and um, gives that representation of, of blackness, you know, for those characters that aren't mm-hmm. traditionally, you know, seen as, as, as black. Um, and I love it. She enjoys it. Um, my youngest daughter is actually very talented. She, she hates writing. <laughs> but she, she, um, she draws beautifully. Um, she sings. And she's also a cheerleader, so she's very athletic, um, and she loves uh, math and science. Mm. So it's like she, yeah. So she's she's very talented. Now, 
Um, she's also very much into anime, and she wants to try to draw her own anime characters and stuff. So she's very talented. So they are, they are artists in their own sense. Um, and I always tell them, like, to – I always encourage them, like, what if you, if you do what you love and you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. You know? That's true. That's true. Yeah. Well, Kelly, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me about everything. <laughs> um, and I look forward to seeing you in person, mm-hmm. you know. It just seems like it's yeah, been and I'm like, learning how to, I learned how to do my own hair. So <laughs> hey, 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 isn't that important? You know, the first one, I, the first Zoom thing I did, I looked and I said, "Oh my!" <laughs> <laughs> oh my! You know, I had the outfit working, but the, you know, I, I had forgotten. I said, "Is my head flat in that place?" And what's that wild hair? You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> well. Well, I'm going to let you go. I want to thank my guest, Angie Perrone, Executive Director of Sage Metro Detroit and the curator of Quiet Storm Poems, Detroit's poet, Kelly, Native Child Brown. During these days of social isolation, maintaining community is so important. We can be inspired by the beauty of ways we are holding each other virtually and symbolically in this moment. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or a topic for a future show. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on Google Play Music. SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change, right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.